Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another edition of Monday Morning Coffee uh, Inside the Firm. I'm your host today, Alex Gore. I'm here with Scott Reynolds of Upcodes. Scott, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Yeah. So, Scott, tell us about uh, what you do at the company. When did you come to, you know, be involved in it um, and, and, you know, your area expertise there? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders at uh, Upcodes. But initially, and I should say, we're, it's an online tech product. We, we do building codes online. But way before that, background was in architecture, went to architecture school, got a, got a BR, worked internationally for a little bit, came back to the US and, and worked here. Uh, so my background very much is rooted in architecture, but um, kind of took a long journey to transition into tech and started up codes around four and a half years ago. Now, uh, together with my brother, who's coming from the software engineering side. Um, yep. So, um, yeah, so, so now kind of operate day-to-day functions at Upcodes and really focus on the, the product, what, what we build and what we're going to build in, in the future and kind of sequencing that roadmap. Where did you go to architecture school and how many years did you have uh, outside of school before you started Upcodes? Yeah, so went to school at Syracuse University, uh, again, for, for their VR program. I know they, they do a master's as well. Uh, so did the five-year program there. Um, went, actually, after graduation, went to the UK, to London, uh, but did a graphic design internship in motion graphics. So, um, uh, so kind of like intro sequences to movies and, and uh, TV shows. So really interesting experience. Did that for about six months and then went to Hong Kong for three years um, doing, uh, architecture work there. So that was kind of like my real, um, architecture, uh, job where it was at least in, in real practice, like outside of internships and things like that. So did that for a couple of years, then moved to New York city where I worked for Cohn Peterson Fox or KPF and worked there for, I think a little over six months in their New York office. So back to the original question around probably a what, little what over year, years. what year were you in New York? Good question. Um, it probably was 2016 or 2015. Uh, so okay. A couple of years back. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. How did, who thought of this idea? Was it you? Was it your brother? How did it come across? And then actually walk through because, you know, there's the idea, but then when to implement it and then how to implement it? Because there's a lot of great ideas. Like um, my cousin said, this was years ago when I couldn't even drink, um, you know, the freeze pops. We are in the hot tub and I swear this was like 92 or something. He's like, oh, we need these with alcohol. It's like, yeah, that's a great idea. He never did it. Someone else did it. It is a great idea. But did you have multiple ideas and then just land on this? Take us back to that kind of time. Yeah, yeah, that's a a great question. So so there are a lot of ideas. Um, And just like you said, like ideas are pretty cheap. Execution is everything and putting together the right team. Um, So I was kind of just... Uh, like always had an interest in tech companies would fly out and visit my brother in, in Silicon Valley, specifically in San Francisco. And at the time he was working at playing grid. So another, uh, kind of construction related startup, putting blueprints in the, in the cloud, uh, recently acquired by, by Autodesk. But I, at the time, you know, they're independent. I would go to their offices. I was like, this, this is incredible. 
I love the the fast pace of of building a tech product. So it, it that's really where I wanted to to head. But it was going to take some kind of transition or segue from architecture to get into tech. So I was like, you know, let me identify a interesting idea to pursue as a side project, and that will teach me the ropes of of what it takes to ship a tech product. Um, so at that time, 2015 or 2016, I was in uh, New York. Actually, let me let me back up even further. Yeah. Um, when I was doing when I was working in Hong Kong, I was really just the the kind of conduit of information between the design team in in New York and the boots on the ground in mainland China, um, and really wasn't doing any design work. Was just kind of faring back and forth. What are the design constraints? Primarily code. Um, so we we're figuring out. Okay, what what are the 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 codes in in, in Shenzhen in in uh, southern China? And there there are huge hurdles. So not you know code compliance on its own is pretty difficult. Even more difficult if it's written in a foreign language. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's translation issues, and I'm like, this is this is a really difficult process. Um, and I really want to get back to design. So I transitioned to New York and started witnessing domestic projects, and realized the compliance was even harder. There was no translation barrier there, but just the the amount of regulations was larger. They're more uh, stringent, so it's more difficult to, to comply with. So I was, I was kind of taken aback. And um, that ended up being maybe one of five ideas that, uh, that I was kind of putting together. I had like notebooks and I was just sketching out ideas and doing uh, preliminary research. And then I would go to my brother, who is a software engineer, is like, okay, what of these ideas do you think could software could, could suit best? Um, and I think it was one Thanksgiving, I forgot which year it was, but he flew out to, to New York, um, stayed with me in my, in my apartment at the time, and, uh, and, and we just hacked on some of the ideas. We, we just kind of tried to set up prototypes and see what would work. And what seemed the most interesting was getting some of these building regulations and, and making it searchable. Um, and it's very crude. Like that version 0.1 um, was you, you had to URL enter or it's called URL hacking, but like basically type into the URL what your search query would be. There's, there's no user interface. Uh, like, Oh, like you like mean that. just like hit control fine, like control um, F that's a little more, a little more advanced than that. Like it, like okay. it would send it back to the server and it would query the, the database and send you back search, search results. Kind of like, kind of like Google, but, but completely unformatted and more like, it looks like a computer terminal. Um, yeah. So really, really basic. But but that's that's basically where the idea came from. It, it was kind of generating a few potentials, bouncing the ideas off with with my brother, and and then trying to put up some some prototypes to see what what could work. Who was who was actually doing the prototypes, like like making them physically? And then was this while you had a job and you're doing this at night on the weekends, whatever? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so it was when I had the, the full-time job and we were just doing it yeah, at night times and on the weekend and it, it was Garrett. So he was doing all of the technical implementation and because there was no user interface, there wasn't much, uh, for me to do on, on that, that front, except for a lot of the research. So, um, you know, I had worked on international projects and New York city projects, but I really didn't know what code meant from a, from a national level. Like what, what are the adoptions? What, how does it change state to state? So it was a lot of this kind of um, business research that I was doing at the time and he was hacking together these, these prototypes. Yeah, and even though it's, it's not that long ago that you mentioned it, you know, 2015, 16, um, it seems like longer than that. But from a user perspective, 
essentially every time, you know, we, we have some code books, right? Um, but there's, there's a lot of different code books and there's a lot of different years. And sometimes people aren't in the office. And back then, how you'd have to find code online is like you'd either Google it and, and try to find it or you'd go to the ICC and then like it was, honestly, it would take a while to get to the actual PDF or sometimes a building department would have links, but it was always like, I couldn't just give an answer. Like, oh, oh, they're in, you know, 2016 and we've been literally doing 29, you know, 2009, right? So like our office book is 2009 and then someone updated actually to 2015. It's, there isn't a, a 16. Um, and, and we didn't have it. So like, I just have to say, find it. But then eventually I found upcodes. I go, oh, you just go to upcodes. They're like, what? Yeah, yeah, up.codes, you'll find it. Um, so, I mean, it was great in that there was one source, one source to find all this that was easy. And it was, user interface is huge. You know, just like um, the, I, the iPod, right? The, the music one. Um, there was a bunch of different ones. It's just, this one had the best user interface. Uh, and it, it, it took off and the iPhone, same, same thing. So that's mainly what we use it for. But then you started developing other, uh, other things. Like you, I think I even tested it once and you could, uh, I think it was your exit widths or, or something like that. Go into the, and keep along with the story is like, what, what versions, what things did you decide to start adding to it? you know, that probably takes time and resources and money, then you have to get it. So continue on the story from, hey, you know, you're making it and this guy has just found a website just has the codes in one place. Because there's more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. And and, and yeah, it's it's crazy. But like a couple of years ago, it's, it's hard to remember now, but it was so fragmented. The the where you could find, I mean, it's still, and it still is for, for a large part of the, the space, but like, you know, it we would have a company server with PDFs and, and you didn't quite know what version that PDF was or, or what year it was saved. You, we had a physical library of, of code books. You could go onto government websites. You could go onto the ICC site. Um, and, and it was really, it's, it was so difficult to patch together. What are, what are the most up-to-date and, and composite kind of set of, of code around this project? And it was such a kind of um, ridiculous barrier to even start the project. Like why should we ever, struggle with finding the right information before we, you know, start digesting that and understanding how it applies to our projects. Um, so the first thing was just, let's get that all into one place. Let's unify it. So it's not, you know, you don't have amendments from the government and then with, with an adopted uh, uh, code book and uh, that are in different formats. So let's get that all together. Let's unify it into a database and, and make it searchable. And it sounds very simple, but that actually took a lot of time to, to do and to gather up all that information and, and just like you said, um, the the user interface took, and, and where I mean we're constantly refining it even even today. But early on, it was a lot of research, a lot of user testing. What you know, how how can people best work with this code, and what format would they expect, and just you know, how can we uh, enable them to to browse through and and read the code the easiest? But back then, I don't know if, if folks will remember, but there was something called I think it was CyberX which was the ICC's version of an online code resource. And it was really, really difficult to use. I think every section of code was its own web page, so you, you couldn't see like a full chapter of, of code. And it was really difficult to not only browse sections, but search through it, and it's very difficult to work with. So early on, that, that, the 
big piece to get in place was just, let's just unify this data. Let's put it all into one place. Let's make it easy to, to browse. Um, and then like you, then you mentioned um, getting into like, like egress widths and things like that. that that's been a lot of, of the last 12 months is kind of like going off this foundation. Now that we have all this information together, let's start creating some interesting tools. And frankly, I think this is where it's going to get really exciting um, is because now we've built that foundation. It's like, what kind of tools can you do to help um, kind of automate that process or be more of like, go beyond just a, a code lookup or a repository and, and start to really enable proactively for the designers. Um, so that's kind of like what we've been getting into them in the, in the last year. And um, just to give people some overviews, uh, an overview, we should have went over this in the beginning, but you have over 400,000 monthly active users. You have over a million sections of codes and have integrated over 50,000 uh, state and local amendments. And what's huge about that is um, <laughs> when you learn the lesson that a local one piece of code in the construction side, so we're also builders now, right? Can cost you $10,000 just on a small house and you're already three quarters of the way down the project. And that's just a house. I'm not even talking about a multifamily structure or something like that. And it's only because the city has their adoptions and they, they've changed 40 pages of, of, of code. And maybe you didn't go look at it because it's all technical nonsense and it's, you know, <laughs> hard and difficult. And it's like, why would you change the IBC? You know, like, who do you think you are? Like, why do you think that you are smarter than the IBC to do this little code that messes me up? It's huge. What you're doing is, is huge and, and very, very important. So congratulations on that. Thank you for that. Um, and then I wanted to talk about if I, yep. So you have all the codes in one project, you know, um, there's two, three main points that you have on your websites, your code library, all in one place, understanding codes relevance to your projects. Um, so that's the, the search engine and then structured research and project-based coordination. What does that mean? Yeah. So, so, um, so that's diving off of, of the kind of that, that foundation as I was mentioning. So, so now you have all the codes in one place, you can search it, you can, you can browse it, but what can you do? to kind of be a design aid for the designer or for the GC or, or the, the plans examiner or building inspector, how, how can you start to streamline that, that research process? And that's where a lot of the new functionality comes into play. So um, one of the big new tools, code calculators, is taking project inputs and then automatically doing some of these calculations and then shooting out a code sheet on the other end of the process. So trying to minimize the amount of information in and maximize the amount of information out on the other side. So if we have an understanding of, or the system has an understanding of where you're located, what's your construction type, what are the occupancies, what kind of sprinkling are you proposing, you can see the downstream code implications. So things like building heights and areas, egress, plumbing fixture accounts, accessibility, um, all these, these, these kind of um, code requirements that would otherwise be quite uh, difficult to kind of go and, 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 and uh, dig through. So one of the advantages there is that you can iterate quite quickly. You can say, hey, if I change, if I upgrade my construction type, or if I put this sprinklering in, or if I do uh, a separated uh, uh, mixed use building, you know, what, what can I get away with? Uh, and, and what are gonna be my outputs on the, on the way out? So we're trying to tighten that iteration cycle as fast as possible 
to, to help with those really basic kind of calculations uh, for, for the user. Um, is, yeah. is that literally on the website, you know, you log in um, and it, it, it's literally inputs and then it will spit out an output? Is yeah, that how it yeah. works? It, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I should mention too, there's, there's two tiers of the website. So one is the free tier and kind of our ethos um, has always been from, from day one, like all code should be free to access for users. Um, things like copy, paste, print, just like the, the basics of accessing code should be free. Um, it, you know, we're all bound by it. It's law, so everyone should access it. So that's all in the free tier. So we'll integrate amendments um, and structure it and, and make it easy to view, hyperlink and do all those things. Then that's all in the free tier. Then the premium tier for the kind of for the power users are these tools we're talking about. So that, like you mentioned, you go onto the website, you put in your inputs, and you get this this code sheet um, uh, output. Uh, on, yeah. on the paid side, yeah. What other features do you have? Um, or, or or yeah, let's let's stop there first. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. Um, yeah. So so a couple things, and you know, it, re it really goes back to how fragmented the industry is. Because we have, like you mentioned earlier, like there's um, over 400,000 monthly active users. And those are people from all the way from a homeowner to uh, a building inspector and everyone in between. So you have like architects, probably the largest bucket actually, um, GCs, uh, plans examiners, tradespeople, plumbers, electricians, roofers. And everyone has their own requirements. They have their own workflows and they deal with code in a different way. So when we think about the the premium features, we start to create some of these features for the different workflows. So one um, that I'll mention is code compare. So it's the ability to look at two different codes of, of the same type. So building to building code or plumbing to plumbing or mechanical to mechanical and see what the differences are either between a code year adoption. So if you're in California, what's the difference between 2019 and 2016 building code? Or if you're somewhere else, what's the difference between 2018 and 2015? building codes and then highlighting the differences between the two or between jurisdictions and getting back into this kind of diverse fragmented uh, uh, user base. A lot of people, if they're working on modular homes or um, if it's a retailer uh, setting up stores across the country, they might have to design for Florida and, and then jump into Washington state. And what are the differences between those two different jurisdictions and how does the code vary in those adoptions? So that tool is, is pretty useful to highlight exactly what those differences are between these jurisdictions. Gotcha. And, and that's the main, main feature? Yep. Yeah. So that's a whole other uh, set. And, and then maybe I'll mention like this uh, one, probably the third largest there um, is code diagrams. So again, for a whole different kind of user segment, but this is taking the code text and explaining it in code or plain English um, and then providing illustration or, or diagrams. So if someone's not as familiar with the code, um, you know, whether that's a junior person or middle level, or maybe they're diving into a new project type or a new um, jurisdiction, it, it's supplementing the, the, just the raw text of the code with, with a, a kind of easy way to understand and interpret. Um, what does that code actually mean? So, gotcha. For yeah. uh, in the future, well, did you have? I think I remembered where you could download a plugin into Revit and it could run some analysis and and tell you where you're breaking some code. Does that still exist? Um, and do you have plans for the future? Like, where are you taking this in the in the future? In the next, you know, one year? And then, what's your 
like pie in the sky of what upcodes can do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, you're absolutely right. So we, we spent some time developing a Revit plugin and that takes your Revit model and then flags potential code errors in that model. Now, not all that many checks. It's, it was a pretty early prototype, and I think it does 50 checks, primarily in the accessibility code, a little bit in the building code. Um, and it turns out it's actually pretty you know, straightforward to identify simple code errors. So things like ramp slope or um, uh, like landing width, um, stair runs, things like that. Uh, pretty, pretty easy to tell if it's dimensional or um, you can pull it from the metadata. But uh, it, it was a good validation, kind of like a good project into automatic code checking. But what we realized pretty, pretty quick is that we didn't really have an understanding of what the building was. So if we want to do more comprehensive checks, like travel distance, uh, fire separations, we, we didn't know what the building was. Like we could look at it, tell you if that bathroom was accessible or not. But in the first place, does that bathroom even need to be accessible? Like what's, what's the scoping of this building? Where are you located? What kind of um, occupancies do you have? And so we had to kind of take a pause, uh, step back a little bit, and then dive into that code calculation that I mentioned earlier. And, and uh, yeah, not to get too detailed here, but that's basically the bridge between Upcode's web online database and the Upcode's AI, which is the automatic BIM checker, is, is this is this code calculation. So now we can determine what are the, the scoping requirements for a building that will unlock us to go back into BIM checking and then saying like, okay, now we know you need this many fixtures. We need this, this many accessible stalls, this many accessible bathrooms. Uh, here's your fire resistance ratings you need. And we can start to validate that. Um, so to go back to your question, what's kind of like the pie in the sky long-term roadmap? It's, it's very much on both sides. Um, so on design, coming up with your code sheet saying what you need to design for. And then after that, validating if you have met those requirements. So we'll say, hey, you need to hit all these requirements. You, you can do your design, uh, do the BIM model. And then on the other end, we can check that BIM model, make sure it matches up with all of the requirements. Awesome. So in the future, either a planning department or just an architecture firm uh, could check against codes automatically at the end, you know, at the be kind of the beginning and the end that that's the, you know, how far away is that? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great question. And it, you know, I, I don't know if it would ever be a hundred percent. We kind of view it as, is um, similar to like accounting software for accountants. I think it'll be a tool in their, in their tool belt rather than like a replacement of, of that workflow. And that's kind of what we're building towards. So I'll, I'll just give that, that um, kind of caveat, which is, you know, like I, I don't, it's never going to do the whole thing for you. It, it's right. it, code is such a um, difficult space and there's a lot of interpretation and, and design plays a big role. So we, we just want to be a, um, an aid in, in, in that flow. So, but if we're thinking about maybe like 50% completion of, of what we can check, um, I'd say maybe like two years, three years out, which sounds really long, but uh, it's, it's, Software takes so long uh, to, to build, but um, that's kind of the goal is, is to get to that range. Yeah. Everything that like is a concept, you know, like a new car, it always seems so long. And then once you get to that year, you're like, oh man, that came quickly. You know, uh, yeah. time flies. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still waiting for my cyber truck, but I'm sure when they ask me for my <laughs> huge down payment, I'll be like, well, that came up quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex exactly. Um, 
they, they have the challenge that, that um, Tesla created the prototype and put it out there so early that uh, you, you kind of know what to expect. Um, and now they need to like backfill and actually get to that production where for us, we, we approach it entirely differently where it's, we, we want to break down to bite-sized chunks that we can start to ship it, get the feedback. It's like, Hey, is this working for you guys? Like, you know, does this fit into your workflow? And, and um, cause we have to make assumptions and those need to be validated and some are right, some, some are wrong. Um, so it helps break it down to these chunks. I, I would, I would just be terrified to like this, like the, the, um, is it Cybertruck? The, the yeah. name of it? Yeah. Yep. Um, I'd be terrified to, you know, create that end goal and then, you know, have it so set in stone. You can't really iterate and change on the way to, to get to that, to that end. Um, just, yeah, just an interesting tangent, but, uh, yeah, for us, it's always incremental step forwards in this compliance roadmap. Yeah. If you could dive deeper, I think it's very interesting, the entrepreneurial journey of starting a firm. Um, you've raised some funds, um, at least that I know of, you know, what were that obviously had to be new to you because you come from the architecture world. What was that? What was that journey? Like what was some hard lessons that you, or, or, or what was the, the process? Because starting an architecture firm, um, is different than starting a software-based firm that needs funding by VCs and all that. So if you could dive into there, it's kind of open-ended question because I don't want to lead you into an answer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't put that in the past tense. It's, it's still, you know, we still wrestle with it and we're constantly learning new, new things. So like we very much are in the middle of, of like scaling the company and learning different functions. Um, I think probably like the biggest difference was jumping into it and needing to learn so many different functions that I hadn't done before. So before, you know, doing typical architecture work, you're, you're not dealing with, with marketing. You're not dealing with sales unless you're, you know, more, more senior in the firm, which, which I wasn't. Um, uh, so there's so many functions that, that you, that are new to you and whether it's like, okay, what, what is good user interface design? What's user experience design? Um, what, what does, uh, you know, what does subscriptions look like? How do you manage the back end for subscriptions? And, the, and it was pretty like, um, challenging in the, in the first year or two, just to learn all these new things, but very, very reward. Um, and I, I would say like, probably what made the biggest difference is just being surrounded by other folks who had gone through the same thing and being able to tap them. So if we're diving into marketing, we can go knock on the door of, you know, the people that are experts in marketing for tech products and say, you know, what, what did you guys learn? Can you give us some insight and try to accumulate this knowledge from, from all the different experts in, in the field. Um, so yeah, I would say like, that's probably the biggest, um, or, 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 yeah, when I think back to it, that's what stands out the most. Um, but from a day-to-day tactical perspective, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like you, kind of get two camps of, of startups when it comes to tech products. One, one camp is heavily VC fueled, uh, high burn. So they raise a bunch of money, they hire a big team and they can work on a, on a project and then worry about revenue way down the line. So uh, very, very risky. Um, and, and that's not the tact we took. We, we took the opposite tact, which was um, raise a little bit of money just to get you off the ground, but really focus on getting revenue early on so you can, uh, I would call it baby steps, but like you're, you're really breaking it down into digestible chunks where you can take on the next step and the next step and get, get users on board, um, get revenue, uh, build the community and then keep, 
uh, kind of rolling out new areas and aspects of the product, kind of going back to the early conversation. So, so don't shoot for that final thing, break it down into smaller steps. And, you know, what is the smallest step you can, you can ship and, and get feedback from, from, from users and work with the users. Um, and until you make that, that one small piece more mature, and then you can add on another piece and then another piece and another piece where it starts to build up the bigger, the bigger picture. How many people work at Upcodes now? So we are, so small team, uh, we're, we're six folks full time and I think eight contractors. Gotcha. And then, so when you said that you had to, you know, put on all these different hats, learn all these different, you know, areas, and you mentioned you could go to, you know, someone and ask, were you set up in a incubator system? Were you set up in a bunch of different offices? Um, were you just asking people online? Because with COVID, like it's, it's different because there are incubators where everyone's there doing everything together and you just, it's like studio. You just turn to a guy that you know is better than you at that and you ask him. Was it, was, was it that or was it? Honestly, all of the above in, in, in excess. Um, so, so we did an incubator. Um, we did uh, Y Combinator. So it's um, one based here in the Bay Area. And, the, and that was pretty incredible because you immediately get kind of plugged into a, a huge community of, of not just your current what they call batchmates, like the, the companies in that cohort, uh, but all the alums. And they have like a very vast network and, and kind of um, kind of like an internet of, of sorts that connects all, all the alums. So, and there's like a forum board on there. Um, so you, that, that was probably the best place to be able to tap people and, and talk to people and it could be done virtually. So like during COVID times, like that, that would, you know, very much still work and, and, and it does today for us. Um, but we started obviously before COVID um, and we absolutely like, like working in co-working spaces early on, um, you know, meeting up for coffees and like getting, you know, meeting up with people in, in person to kind of tap, tap their knowledge was massively beneficial. And then just like you said, that, that third bucket is just online communities. Um, so in the software world, and, and this is kind of a big theme of, I've always kind of challenged or, or been frustrated with in architecture is, is the availability of these online communities. Cause you compare what you can see in architecture with the software world and software world is just, it, it's just immense. These, these forums are really, really robust and, and active discussions. And you can almost certainly, any question you have, you can have it answered in, in these, in these forums. It, it probably was answered previously. If it hasn't been in the, in the rare case, you can post that question and you'll get answers within hours. Um, you know, contrast that with architecture, like, like don't, they, they're there in, in some capacity, but nothing like um, the software industry. So I think that's like a huge, I, I wouldn't call it opportunity, but just something that needs to be done. And, and, and I hope the industry can evolve more to be like more supportive, especially for like younger folks who need to like learn um, some of these, these new roles of, you know, uh, bridging between academia to, to practice. So um, yeah, so I will say like that, that was a huge thing for us was diving into these, these online communities. Yep. And then, um, sorry, someone just came in the office. Uh, I was going to ask, oh, here's the question. So <clears throat> your, your brother back in the day was working for some tech company. You were working at some architecture firm. Um, you know, a lot of people know what architecture salaries are. A lot of people know that tech salaries are a little bit better um, working at, a, at an established firm. Where was the point when one of you decided or both of you decided to quit your job. Like what was literally like that day or that week? Was it when you got accepted to Y incubator, you know, 
Yeah. Take us back to that time. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And that, it wasn't that, like, Oh, I got to go uh, sleep on mom's couch. I got to go sleep on my brother's couch, you know, for a while. What happened? Yeah. You know, that, that, and that's, that's basically it. Um, so, you know, coming from myself from an architecture salary had a little bit of savings, not, not a ton, like living in New York, you know, you don't um, save all that much money, especially early on. So I, I didn't, yeah, not a lot of savings. Um, I started, uh, started in New York and we didn't pay ourselves for the first year or two. Um, so we were, they, they call it like the, I think it's like ramen diet is, is like the term for it, but like, yeah, absolutely. Like we, we had to have a really, really low burn. Um, cause we were operating off of primarily savings. This is before any VC money came in. Um, and, and that was a really long time. Like not drawing a salary for a year or two is ba- like, was right on the edge of what I could manage with, with my meager savings at the time. Did both of you quit or just one of you? So I, I left first um, and then Garrett, my brother left, I think a few months after. So I left, uh, worked in New York for a little bit, finished out my lease there, then moved to the West Coast to Francisco. Um, and I think I was crashing at his apartment at the time to, to keep expenses down. Um, and then he left uh, a couple months after that. And um, what made you and then him decide, okay, we can leave our job. Is it just, Hey, we just got to try it. If it doesn't work out, whatever, we're so young. Or was it, you know, Hey, we think we got a clear path here. It's just going to take some, you know, time and effort. Which one was it? Yeah, I, I, I think it, it was the second one. Um, so, and going back earlier, like, like it was always, you know, like iterating through the ideas, we were, always, it was always supposed to be a segue for myself to, to get into the, to the tech industry. And it'd just be a fun, Kind of side project so we launched it as such and we hadn't quit our jobs but it started to get more and more attraction um so more and more users and you know today we have uh, a little over the, the four hundred thousand. At, at the time it was, it was way less but it was still enough that there it just showed a huge amount of promise and potential and it was growing faster than we anticipated um so we just thought it was a yeah apologies here i mean a uh Yeah, no worries. Uh, I, I might cut this out if I do <laughs> have the effort, but uh, there's a fire truck going off over there. So you just pause for a second. There we go. Yeah, sorry about that. We have a fire station just down the street and we get a lot of fire trucks coming right by the office here. He lives in a fire station. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, so it's really just the, the amount of traction that, that we were getting um, and also the feedback. Like, like again, mentioning like working as close as we can with the users and just chatting with people on the phone, meeting up with them in, in, in person and just kind of feeling that, uh, that same pain point that I felt and a lot of validation for, you know, if we can relieve some of this, this friction and some of this pain, there might actually be a good opportunity here. That coupled with the amount of the, the traffic and the users we're getting, we're like, hey, you know what, let's, let's take a risk. Let's leave our respective jobs and, and dive in. Did you have some... Uh, monthly income coming in from the website? We, we did uh, pretty meager. I, I, don't, I don't recall offhand, but it definitely was not um, enough to sustain the business. Like it, it, early days, like we were burning, you know, with a quote unquote burn, but basically like you're, you're spending more money than you're, than you're bringing in. And, and that was, that happened for a while. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so right now you're kind of in a, legal tussle with ICC, 
um, because, you know, they develop the codes and basically say that you're, you know, using their copyright and all that. Uh, to be fair, uh, I'm actually kind of one-sided on this argument. I'm on opcode side. Uh, only for the fact is that all these regulations are so onerous and there's so many of them and it's so complicated and it's the government telling you what you do. It should be free and out and open to the public to use, manipulate. And for them, my opinion is for them to kind of hold a monopoly on it is squashing competition. And, and, and how I beat the other architecture firms is that I offer more service. I offer a better product, right? If you have a monopoly, you don't have to. Yes, they can say it's free and it's searchable online, but maybe it's really crappy searchable online. Maybe it's really great. Like if it was really great, then maybe you guys wouldn't exist because they'd be like, why would we ever go to yours since theirs is so great and they're the ones who make it, right? So that competition just allows for uh, a better product for me being selfish. You know, there might be another upcodes, uh, I don't know what they'd call themselves, really upcodes, right? That gives you some competition that makes you have to, you know, innovate. And I think that's all fair game. We all operate in, in that kind of market. Um, so, you know, just wanted to get kind of your, your position, your take where you guys are at with them and, uh, what's happening there. Yeah. And, and, and I will mention like exactly like you said, it is, is our stance too. You, you look at, um, lawyers who we now have worked with like quite extensively, um, and they have a huge amount of tools in, in their tool belt. They have like the, like the law has been for them and what they deal with, with case law has been open for, for a long, long time. And you have all these companies, all these innovations that make it easier and easier for them to actually do their job and, and, and kind of automate and, and, and structure these workflows. So they have this huge uh, ecosystem of, of tools at their disposal, but you compare that to um, architecture, engineering, construction, and the tools that we have to manage our compliance, and there was nothing. And, and, and it's, it's very, very meager. Um, now we're trying to take a stab at that, and you know, we're doing our kind of like uh, a kind of humble like jump into that space, but with this lawsuit, um, and we can dive into the, into the details, but, um, but we're starting to open up more and more of the codes into the public domain. So we had a bunch of um, really good kind of progress in our own lawsuit to open up the ICC codes. There's parallel codes, uh, or sorry, parallel cases, the one that went to the Supreme Court recently, that's like constantly opening up more and more. So I hope that in a couple of years time, like we will have multiple, like you said, like multiple upcodes in, in this space. Like we'll have competitors, we'll have people that are taking their own interesting tax on it um, and, or, or approaches and angles to it. And maybe, you know, maybe doing what we do, maybe doing something slightly different, but at the end of the day, the end user, the architect engineer uh, GC is going to benefit from that. Cause then they're gonna have multiple tools at their disposal. The competition will uh, kind of, heighten um, the, the push towards innovation. So, so I completely agree. <clears throat> and, um, and it's actually interesting, just to go to another thing you mentioned, um, they have suppressed innovation for so long. When we came along, so many people reached out, they're like, hey, how are you doing what you're doing? We tried to do something very similar and they just reached out and just crushed us immediately before we, we got out to, of the gate. Um, so, you know, had they not been able to kind of put that legal pressure to stop other companies and innovations from happening today, we might have like 10 different companies that, that you could choose from that you could apply to your, to your projects and, and use. Um, 
so yeah, so I completely agree. Um, I can give a high level kind of overview of, of the yeah, please do. If that, if that helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the ICC um, is a uh, SDO, so standards development organization, and they produce codes that they lobby and they spend a lot of money to get enacted into law. Um, and those codes are actually written by volunteers. So industry professionals or government um, uh, employees will contribute their time to write the codes. ICC will lobby to get those enacted into, into law. Um, and our stance is that, you know, if the intent of these things was to become law and then they were enacted into law, then it should be open for everyone to, to use. If it's, if it's binding uh, legal text that you as a citizen have to follow, um, you should be able to read your, those, those laws that, that govern you. Oh, yeah. And do you remember the, the blue sheet in the beginning of the PDFs that said this is a legal document? Uh, you not knowing of this code does not relieve you of actually you know, following this code. So like mm-hmm. the, in the PDFs, it was basically a warning, like you need to know about this. And, and even if you don't, you still got to follow it. So yeah, allowing more people access to that is more compliance with the letter of the law. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting, like you, you look at their mission statement, which I think is, you know, make the world a, or the built environment a safer place, or, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but some, something along those lines. The accessibility board, has the exact same mission statement, but they they take the completely opposite approach where they're like, hey, look, we want the built environment to be more accessible for folks. So whether that's wheelchair access or, or, or otherwise. Um, and they promote as much as possible to get that information out there um, and to, to let people work with it, copy, paste, print, and do all these different things. So you have very different approaches. One is like, hey, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to try and clamp it down and control access and we're the only ones who can kind of dole out the laws to you that you need to follow compared to folks who are like, Hey, we really want to make this, the built environment safer and better for accessible folks. Um, we're going to pump it into the, into the, to the marketplace as much as possible. Right. Right. And I, this is a, a total tangent, but it, it's kind of an analogy to what you're doing. If you've ever read uh, laws that are written, um, they are terribly written, meaning like, they're just written by lawyers and they're terribly long and they're crazy, right? They're like 500 pages because we had to read these for the PPV loan. You know, I have to read certain laws for certain reasons. It's as if a company came along and said, hey, we're going to put this in a completely different format that makes sense and digestible and something that you, you can read and learn and understand. That would be a great service. You know, they probably don't want it because what they actually put in laws, if people were, if people actually knew how much the government gave to you and then actually gave to, you know, other companies, big corporations, they'd probably be pissed, right? Uh, so again, this is a side tangent, but it's, it's essentially taking a law and, and trying to make it as accessible and easy for the user as possible. And I, I almost think there's, there's more opportunity for this in more different regions, just not just in, in building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like a, a great example of that is TurboTax or HR Block right, or exactly. um, all, all yep. those. Like, I've never, I mean, I can't remember ever looking at an IRS document, like the raw, the raw document. Um, like I, you know, taxes now take me like twenty minutes. I can just, I just click through, and uh, like some of it's automatically populates from from previous years or from a, from a W two, um, and and that's exactly the way. Uh, building code should be like it, it should be like we should have lots of options but it should be user-friendly 
um, it should kind of guide us down this way. And it, it's kind of like a, it, it's an interesting thing to think about or proposition. Like, you know, would there ever be a future where you don't look at the underlying document? Um, and, and what would that look like? Like, I, I certainly don't have the answer there, but like it, you know, if you took a pure TurboTax workflow and applied that to the building codes, what, what might that look like? And that's right. something we, we chat about. Don't have a good answer, unfortunately. Right. No, but that makes an entire sense. Instead of like citing the code about a, you know, like you need a fire separate separation here for this. If somehow it just said, oh, your building got this big, um, you, you should put this firewall here. You know, I, something like that. Yeah, I'm sure you thought about it more than me, but it's a very interesting concept that you're kind of divorcing it from the actual text into just something that kind of just happens, just kind of pops up or shows you or, or you know, so great, great ideas. I look forward to, you know, your guys' future, what you're doing, um, you know, keep us posted. We'd like to have you back, uh, you know, in the future. Um, so anytime, just reach back out, but I'll let you have the final words. Um, anything you want to let the listeners know, go ahead. Um, any way to get a hold of you or, or what you want them to do or, or how to just even get started in UpCodes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so I'll just mention that um, it goes back to a lot of the themes we, we chatted about, but we love to chat and, and connect with the community as much as possible. So if you reach out to us in any means, whether it's email at support at up.codes, on Twitter at upcodes. Um, or the website, which is up.codes, like any, really any way, if you just reach out to us, we'd love to chat. If, if you have any ideas, like to, you know, just, just, um, uh, you know, kick the tires on, on compliance and what it, what it could look like in the future. We, we always love having those conversations. Um, and then of course, you know, whether it's the free tier or, or, or not, like hopefully the, the site and the product can be helpful in, in your project. So definitely check it out, um, the website or, or check us out at, uh, Twitter. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. It was great having you on. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me.